Early on in my ministry, I had a gentleman come up to me and say, I want to work in student ministry. And so I had a meticulous process for getting new volunteers connected. There are a lot of checks and balances. And a major part of that very meticulous process is Facebook stalking him. And so if you don't know, if you're hiring or getting hired for a job, a lot of jobs will go on your social media to see what kind of person at least you pretend to be. And so I went on his Facebook and I started looking and there was a lot of inflammatory language on his social media profile. And it was very clear what political party he belonged to. Too. And all of the rhetoric was this, is my political party is righteous, my political party is smart, the other political party is evil, the other political party is ignorant. It was just all over his wall. And it was just a, a lot of that sort of language that's very popular in our country today. And I don't care what political party you support. I'm for free speech. Yay. Let's, let's do all those things. Uh, but if you're going to serve in youth ministry and that's on your wall, we're going to have a little bit of conversation before I allow you into that. And so we did. I set up a meeting with him. Uh, we didn't go to Panera because you guys know how I feel about Panera. But we went somewhere, I forgot. And, and we're sitting there and, and I asked him a question. It's a very important question. I said, imagine your youth ministry and a student on the opposite side of the political spectrum walks in the room and comes to you. Will you be able to love, serve, and minister to that student? And he said to me, no, probably not. I'd have a real hard time doing that. I'd have a real hard time building a relationship with a kid who's not part of my tribe. And so what he was doing was he was categorizing people and limiting his love to, to certain groups. And that mentality is very popular in the United States today. It's this idea, if you're not with me, if you're not part of my tribe, if you're not like me, then you're the other. You're the enemy. You are against me which is hard to reconcile with the words of Jesus. Jesus has called us to love and serve our neighbor. But when we categorize our neighbor as other or as enemy, you know, they, they're not like me in thought, lifestyle, and belief. We, by nature, keep distance from those types of people. And we cannot love and serve people we are not close to. Here's another way to say it. We will often limit our love to anyone we look at as other. Where do you limit your love? Ask yourself that question. Where do I limit my love with what people group, with what group of people that believe this thing? Where, where, where do I look at them as other and kind of keep my distance so I can't Love them. And this question, where do I limit my love, is actually asked of Jesus. And he does something very interesting with his answer and his response. So open your Bibles to Luke 10. If you do not have a Bible, we have Bibles right back there. We got a little cart with Bibles on them. Uh, you guys can grab one of those Bibles. Uh, four through six, you can be dismissed real quick as well uh, while we're doing that. But those Bibles are on the house. Who's leading four through six today? I didn't get to ask them. Uh, so why don't, ben, why don't you take them up? If you're four through six and you want to go, you guys can follow Mr. Bent right there. So get on up. 
Get on up, fourth through sixth graders, and get on out of here. All righty. And then we have the Bibles back there. So yeah, turn to Luke 10. Luke 10. We're in the parables of Luke. These are parables that are unique to Luke. Look at verse 25. This parable is found nowhere else other than Luke. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to them, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this. And you will live. So a lawyer, this is not a Johnny Cochran, you know, court sort of lawyer, uh, but somebody who is concerned in the religious sense with God's law, that sort of lawyer. He comes to Jesus and he says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? It's a question we're all asking. How do I get to the good place? What do I need to do to inherit eternal life with God forever? I don't want to go to the bad place. And so Jesus says, well, you're an expert in the law. You're a lawyer. You know God's word that has been revealed to you thus far. What what does it say? And the lawyer says, well, you're to love God with everything. You're to love God with everything. Heart, soul, mind, strength, time, energy, intellect, you are to love God with everything. And you're to love your neighbor as well. So you're to love God and you're to love your neighbor, which is a summary of the law. The lawyer doesn't do a bad job here. This is Deuteronomy 6.5, Leviticus 19.18. This is the heart of the law, to love God and love others. And Jesus says, do this and you will live. And so Jesus is either saying one of two things. He's saying, This love for God and this love for others is a faith response. It's it's a part of having faith in what God has revealed to us so far. Or he's setting the bar impossibly high for this lawyer. And he's saying, you need to love God continuously, continuously, and you need to love others continuously. Do you really think you can do that, lawyer? And the lawyer probably would have been like, well, probably not. Either way, the man, the lawyer, asks a clarifying question. He says, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And he's not just wanting a dictionary definition here. He's wanting to justify himself to prove he is upholding the law. And to do that, he needs to understand what Jesus means by neighbor. What exactly do you mean by neighbor? Because for a Jew, for a lawyer, neighbor meant fellow Israelite. That's how you viewed neighbor. Neighbor is those who belong to my tribe, my brothers and sisters, Israelites, those are my neighbors. So if that's what you mean by neighbor, Jesus, I'm doing a pretty good job. And so this was, who is my neighbor? This was a, an exclusionary question. The lawyer's trying to exclude responsibility for loving certain people by making them non-neighbors. And we love to do this as humans. We love to have our limits defined for us. 
How many in college or in school took a pass-fail class? Anybody take a pass-fail class before? Pass-fail class, you either pass or fail it. There's no A, Bs, Cs, or Ds, or Fs. You either pass or fail. And the question that every student asks themselves or asks the teacher in a pass-and-fail class is this. What's the least amount of work that I need to do to pass this class? And I don't want to do anything more. Just pass and fail, right or wrong. What's the least amount I need to do? Who's my neighbor? There's a limit to who my neighbor is, right? There's a limit. And Jesus responds, not with a direct answer, but a parable. Now, a parable is a story with a point. It's a story with purpose, and it blows open the doors on our ethical responsibilities as God's people and how we see the world. Look at verse 30. We're going to go all the way to 37. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him pass by on the other side, So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, if you have your Bible out, underline Samaritan. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Jesus said, the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you do, you go and do likewise. So let's rewind a little bit. Let's go back to that original question. What was that original question? Who exactly is my neighbor? When I look out into the world, who do I categorize as my neighbor? It's a question of exclusion. And Jesus tells us a story and inquires, which of these men proves to be a good neighbor? You see how Jesus somewhat flipped the question and the response there? The focus of the lawyer's question was, who should be deserving of my love? Who should receive love? Jesus focuses on the one showing love, essentially telling us, don't ask, where are my limits? Ask, what does it look like for me to be a true neighbor? And Jesus illustrates this. He says, a man walks from Jerusalem to Jericho. This was a 17-mile journey. This was more than your daily average 10,000 steps. This was a 3,000-foot descent down rocky terrain. There were a lot of hiding places for, for bandits and shady robbers to come out, beat you, take what you have of value, and leave you for dead. And that's exactly what happens. This man is beaten, he is stripped of his clothes, and he is left for dead. Well, a priest comes. If you're hearing this story, you're like, oh, 
Help is on the way. And a priest comes and he sees this man beaten, half dead, probably unconscious on the side of the road. And he kind of scoots over and he just kind of keeps on going. And the question is, is why? Why does the priest respond this way? I mean, it's kind of a jerk move, right? One day I was running at night and I had my headphones on and it was pretty dark and I was running, I was running. And at the end of my run, I got my headphones off and a car pulls up to me and he goes, you're a jerk. How could you do that? You're, you're the worst type. Like, I mean, just yelling at me and cussing at me and swearing me out. And I'm like, whoa, what happened? He said, I fell down and hurt myself and you ran right by me. It's because I had my earphones in. I didn't hear them at all. And so just imagine being that guy. <laughs> you're, you're screaming for help and seeing another grown adult just jogging past you all happy like you'd be frustrated. And so we're like, oh man, this guy's getting some help, but the priest passed him. It's not because he has noise canceling head earbuds in. It, it, it's because he's a priest. It's possibly because he didn't want to become spiritually, ritually unclean. You know, for a priest... You didn't touch dead things, let alone dead people. So you were to say six feet apart, lest you touched that dead thing and, and incur upon yourself spiritual defilement. It could be the priest was just a chicken. He's like, man, this guy just got beat up. His clothes have been taken. The robbers, the, those, those guys are probably still around. I need to get out of here. Or it could be he didn't know if this guy was a neighbor or not. So he's a Jewish priest walking by, and the way you could tell people culturally apart was to look at their clothes or to hear them speak. We've all heard somebody speak and go, hey, you're from somewhere different. But this man was naked, without clothes, and probably unconscious, unable to speak. And so maybe the priest thought to himself, well, he may not even be my neighbor. I may not have any obligation to help this guy out. And so this priest, a pious man, a man who should have helped walked on. And next comes a Levite. This feels like a really bad joke. Like a priest and a Levite walk into a room and the Levite comes. And he too ew, crosses on the other side and just walks by him. Now a Levite, they were temple helpers. They were like the religious B team of the day. And so they still had, uh, you know, significance and a little bit of power, but he probably saw his boss avoid this broken man. And he probably said to himself, I'm just going to do the same thing my boss did and just stay away. And so these two pious men, these religious leaders in the Jewish community do not help this broken man. And these are leaders. Exemplary behavior is expected, but no. The Wall Street Journal had an article about a crowded commuter train in San Francisco where a man shot and killed a 20-year-old student. And security footage shows the gunman waving around his 45 caliber pistol, yet no one on the crowded train noticed because they were so focused on their smartphones and tablets. After a similar incident, the Philadelphia chief of police said that this lack of response was becoming more common. 
and noted that people are more likely to use their cell phones to record assaults than to call the police. That should make you angry. That should get you frustrated. It makes you sick to hear that. This parable is intended to do the same thing. How could they? How could they set limits to their love? The religious leaders are bad neighbors. So what does a good neighbor look like? What does a good neighbor look like? Look at verse 33. But a Samaritan. Cue the record scratch. You guys know in movies when somebody says something off kilter, the music's going, and then the record scratches because what they're saying is either uh, offensive or just something wrong or surprising. That's what's happening here, a Samaritan. But a Samaritan. Keep in mind the shock, the ethnocentric focus of this passage so far. A Samaritan helping a Jew. Now the lawyer most likely thought a Samaritan, a half-breed. Long ago, there were Jews who, who went off and intermarried with pagans and other people, and they became the Samaritans. And so they were half-breeds. If you were a true Jew, they were, they were your enemy. They set up their, their own false place of worship to worship their own version of God, their own false God. It was a place of idolatry. These are our enemies. We have been at war with them for years and years now. What do you mean a Samaritan is going to come in and be the hero? A no good, dirty, half-breed, ignorant Samaritan is going to be the hero of this story. That is outright offensive, Jesus. Look at 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave him to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will pay you when I come back. Here's, here's what a true neighbor looks like. He doesn't run away. His movement is towards the man in need. Here's our first point. A true neighbor goes. A true neighbor goes. Then it says he has compassion. He loves with compassion. And all compassion is, is emotion plus motion. Compassion moves you to do something. Do you know why the Good Samaritan is still part of our, our culture and we can talk about being a Good Samaritan is because the Good Samaritan actually did something. A true neighbor acts. A true neighbor acts. Then we see wine. That wine was probably to clean his wounds. That oil was to soothe his pain. He bandages him up. He finds him shelter. 
Here's another part of our, our, our big idea here is a true neighbor restores. A true neighbor restores. He pays for him. He says, here's my credit card. If there are any more charges, I will pay for it later. Let me know. A true neighbor loves without worrying about the cost. And he does not worry about this man's ethnic background, that he might be a potential enemy. He doesn't hesitate. He just does. A true neighbor sees no non-neighbors. You can put all of this together and you can say this. A true neighbor loves without limits. If you write anything down today, you can write that down. A true neighbor loves without limits. Look at verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. It's not who is my neighbor, but who proved to be a true neighbor. And the lawyer, he can't even bring himself to answer Jesus' question by saying the word the Samaritan. He won't even say Samaritan. He's like the one who had showed mercy. The one who showed mercy. John Wesley like to say, the world is my parish. John Wesley was a very famous pastor. He said, the world is my parish. With this story, Jesus is telling us, the world is my neighborhood. The world is my neighborhood, and I am called to be a loving neighbor. Who are you failing to, to see as neighbor? Those who disagree with your beliefs, people who sin or hold different political views, those, those people are your neighbor. And as Christ followers, we're called to love and serve them well by, by meeting needs, going to them, restoring them, no matter the cost or the difference. A true neighbor loves without limits. A true neighbor loves without limits. There's no such thing as a non-neighbor. So what do we do with this passage? Well, if you see somebody on the side of the road, naked, beaten, and unconscious, it would be good for you to help them out. It's lesson number one. Now, is that going to happen a lot in a place like Castle Rock? No. There will be people in need. I mean, we have people holding signs asking for money. Um, we always have food available in our car. We try to give that away. If, if God encourages you to, to give money, you can do that. I know there's arguments about they're going to use it for this and that. I think sometimes you got to trust God with that sort of stuff. Uh, but you, if you're that kind of person, you better be the type of person who is supporting ministries that help the homeless uh, we do as, as a larger church at Creekside under that umbrella. We help with things like Open Door. And so there is that sort of application. But if that were the only application, there wouldn't be this like regular need to apply this passage to our lives. But, but I think there is. I think this passage is important for us, especially in the times we live in. Our country is divided. And not just in two, in all sorts of tribes. 
Our country is divided, and the only thing that we agree upon is how divided we actually are. And that division, that us versus them, or you're my opponent, that division causes distance. And that distance makes it hard for a lot of Christians to love others well. And all of this mess, Jesus doesn't give us the responsibility of deciding who is or isn't our neighbor. Jesus says, are they breathing? And we say, yes. Then he goes, well, guess what? They are your neighbor. They are your neighbor. The young, the old, rich, poor, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, single parent, twice divorced, the immigrant, the Democrat, the Republican, Libertarian, the Rastafarian, the Pastafarian, it's a real thing, look it up, the anti-vaxxer, the pro-vaxxer, the anti-masker, the pro-masker, gay, straight, atheist, agnostic, Christian or not, man or woman, they are your neighbor. And many of them, are dealing with pain and brokenness, the pain and brokenness of of failed marriages, the pain and brokenness of isolation. People say they love Colorado, but when they move here, the thing I hear over and over again is it is very hard to find friends here. It is very hard to connect with people here. And so there's isolation, there's loneliness, they're emotionally and spiritually bleeding because the world has has attacked them, beat them, stripped them, and left them for dead. And here's the part that does make me angry. There are Christians every day who knowingly avoid these people like a Levite would a Samaritan. They just walk on by. Because we are called to be a true neighbor at work, at school, in your neighborhood. Write, Write down these four words. Stop, go, greet, serve. Those are good words to write down. Stop, go, greet, serve. It is so normal in Colorado to to come home from work. Just think about in your neighborhood, your actual neighborhood, where you live. To to just come home, you had a hard day's work, and you're driving in, and you're waving to your neighbors, and, and you know that guy's Here's the reality. You talk to anybody long enough, they're struggling with something. And, but, but, but we just kind of drive by, we wave, and hey, hey, Tom, hey. And then you kind of, you pull into your driveway, and then you shut the garage, and then you never see them again. Here's my encouragement. Stop. Either park the car and get out, but stop whatever it is you think is important in that moment. Whatever urgency you feel in life, I'm confident that if you stop and and pursue somebody in obedience, God will honor that. God will take care of the other things that you need to do. But stop and go. 
Be intentional and go to your neighbor. Go to your coworker. Go to your classmate and greet them. Here, here's what you do when you greet somebody. Say your, hey, my name's this. What's your name? And then just start asking questions. I sat an hour and a half in a, in a car with, with another coach that I kind of knew the other day going to a game. Uh, we had our first scrimmage, and I just asked question after question after question after question. And guess what? People like talking about themselves. <laughs> it's not that hard to have a conversation, but get to know them. Find out what they're interested in and then serve them. Serve them. Help Help mow their lawn or, or watch their dog or, or, or clean up their yard or just whatever it is. Just serve them. Find out, move in, move out. Serve them. And show the other the love of Jesus. So that one day when they come to us and they go, something's different about you, we can say, it's Christ working in me. It's the gospel. Guys, don't, you don't need to overcomplicate this. You don't need a mission plan for this. You don't need eight steps to, to, to be a missionary or an evangelist, to be a good Samaritan. It's just to love people. No matter who they are, guys, and there are people all along our block. There are people that, that I work with in the school system that live lifestyles that I don't agree with. And it would be very easy for me to look at that and say, I'm just going to avoid those people but I am called to go to them and build that relationship and show them the love of Jesus. This church will not thrive. This church will not survive if we do not have that attitude. Love people. Love them like Jesus. And if you're, if you're like, I just can't do it. I'm not a sociable person. That's fine, I understand that, but at some point you gotta challenge yourself because a lot of the things that Jesus calls us to do are social in nature. And so you can't just say, well, I'm, just, I'm not social, therefore I'm not gonna be obedient. And so if you're like, I guess I'm not that kind of person, I can't do those sort of things. I just can't walk up, up to somebody and say, hey, what's your name? Or, hey, how long have you been here? I, I just, I can't do that. I can't go. I'm going to stay with my tribe. I've heard that over and over again. I'm going to stay with my people and just pray for the other people who are going. If that is you, you do not fully understand what God has done for you. You see, Jesus isn't the good Samaritan. He's the great Samaritan. Jesus is the great Samaritan. The plight of man is that we, we have been beaten by sin. We lay bruised, broken, and left for dead. It says the wages of sin is death. And we're laying on the side of the road because we've rebelled against our God. So scripture says, and even though we made ourselves enemies to God, Christ came to us. He crossed the street, he knelt down and he put his hands on us. And through his death and resurrection, he healed our wounds. He restored us to life. He bandaged us up and he freed us. He redeemed us 
from sin and death. And he provides us with life all on his dime. It cost him a lot. And all we have to do is receive that gift through faith. Yes, Jesus, I believe you are Lord and I believe what you've done on the cross for my sake truly happened. And it's only through putting my faith and trust in you can I find life. A true neighbor loves without limits because the great Samaritan first loved us.